0: I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. I was preaching in in Michigan one time, and... No joke, the the lights went out in the middle of my sermon, <laughs> right in the middle of it. I never missed a beat. <laughs> I just took a flashlight and kept going like this, like the glowing, you know, demon in the dark or something, you know, ah, you need Jesus now or the lightning's going to hit you. <laughs> no, I, it was crazy. Anyway, I want to talk to you today about families on fire, families on fire. And I'm going to be back with you next month, and I'm going to, I'm going to deal with some, something more specific related to men. And so all you guys, make sure you're not here that Sunday, right? No. Now, ladies, you make sure those guys are here, and you bring all the other guys. And girls, if you've got a boyfriend, you bring him with you too, because let me share this with you. I'm going to talk about eight characteristics of a godly man. And if you don't know what you're shopping for, chances are you'll find the wrong thing. I mean, seriously, I, I, I wrote this for Liberty uh, a couple years ago, and, and the first time I shared it, we had about five or six hundred men, guys just lined up weeping, and the next day we had the largest breakup session on the history of Liberty's campus, <laughs> because guys were going to girls and going, "You know, I, I can't until I am that man, you don't need me." And, and guys and girls were getting together and saying, "You know what? You're right, and this kind of thing. And, and let me just share this with you. My daughter's 28 years old. She's getting married the 22nd of May, and I I say this with all honesty and joking because people say, "Well, when you met with him, did you bring a gun out?" And I, the truth of the matter is, no. He's a, he's six foot four, weighs about 240 pounds, played college football. I didn't need a gun. I just needed Jesus. The, th- I, I, the the rule in our house is the third date is with me. It's with me, and it's not a scare session. I don't sit across the table and look at him like. You know, I sit across the table from him, and I simply just say, listen, this is the way I raise my daughters. This is what I expect from you. You know, I mean, this is it. I I want you to be a a man of God. I didn't raise my daughters to marry some guy that they got to get up every Sunday morning to go to church because, you know, that's his extent of his spiritual life is just getting up and going with his wife to church. That kind of stuff. No, I raised my daughters to be missional, to reach the world with the gospel. And if you're not going to be on mission with them, I don't want you to be a part of my family. So I'm giving you a chance right now to run. <laughs> because I can promise you if you don't and you ask her to marry you, she respects me enough that she will say no. And trust me, the bad ones leave, the good ones stay. I had a young man that she was dating for a while that we thought Dana might end up dating, uh, marrying. And, and one night during, I was speaking in campus church and I just felt glad to go grab hold of him. I said, come on down here with me, man. And we was down at the altar and I said, I want to pray with you. I says, listen, I love you, and if you're willing to become that man, I'll help you get there, man. I will, because my daughter cares for you, and I think you're a good guy. If you're willing to become that man, you know, the next month he went with us on a trip to Gatlinburg, the next, uh, the the, the week after he got home from Gatlinburg, he broke up with my daughter. He just looked at her, and this is what he said, he said, "I, I don't think I can ever be that man. I don't want to be that man. Listen to me, guys. You, ladies, you do not want to marry that guy And think you're going to fix him. Because he will never become that which you think he needs to become. You better find somebody who understands what that means first. Before you jump in a mirror. But I love him. No. No, 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 no. Let me tell you something. When I tell guys, I get with them, they'll go, but I love her. No, you're not in love with her. You're in lust with her. There's a big difference. Love is not lust. Love is trust. And so I just say this to you. Just to, just to remind you, next month, that's what we're going to be dealing with. But today, we're going to talk about families on fire. Let's begin reading in verse 1. And by the way, I love your pastor, Jeff, don't you? I love you. Dave, thank you, man. I appreciate it. But I, I, I didn't know what you were doing with the guitar. I thought it was all part of it, all right? I didn't have a clue. I don't play guitar anyway. I don't play kazoo very well, okay? I <laughs> said, so, so. Good to see you, though, man. All right, <laughs> all right. Uh, Dave's supposed to stand at the middle of the service and go hallelujah and stuff like that, and everything. He's our he's our token, you know, guy to get really excited today, that kind of thing. So, you ready? You doing it, man? Yeah, guy, right. we got it going. Yeah, <laughs> all right, here we go. Verse one of chapter four of Deuteronomy It says, "Now Israel, listen to the statutes and the ordinances I am teaching you to follow, so that you may live, enter, and take possession of the land." Now, I want you to listen to this. We are in the middle of, a, of an election season, and, and I've told you before that if you want to change a nation, you change the church. If you want to change the church, you've got to change the home and the family. You have to. So remember this, we're, we're asking, you know, politicians to change our nation when that is not their responsibility. The responsibility of the church is to change our nation. We have backed up and started hiding. That's the problem, guys. I want you to listen to what he's saying to me. He said, I'm going to give you this land. He said, I'm going to teach you these things because I'm going to give you this land, and and I want you to do this. He says, uh, of the land Yahweh, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You must not add anything to what I command you or take away anything from it. So that you may keep the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you. I mean, come on. Does that not sound like the reason why our nation's falling? We in our homes aren't even keeping those commands. The church is not keeping those commands. What about the, our nation keeping those commands? God can't bless what he can't bless, guys. You know, your, your eyes have seen what the Lord did. You know, for the Lord your God destroyed every one of you who, who, who followed Baal or Peor. But you have remained faithful to the Lord your God and are alive today. That's the reason why they're alive, they've remained faithful. Look, I have taught you statutes and ordinances as the Lord my God has commanded me so that you may follow them in the land that you're entering to possess. It's the second time he said that. So I guess keeping the commands is pretty important, right? I mean, think about that. It's pretty important. He says carefully follow them For this will show your wisdom and understanding in the eyes of the people. The third time he says it. He's just kind of going at it. You know, when you teach, you tell them what you're going to tell them. You tell them, then you tell them what you told them over and over again. When they hear about all these statues, they will say, this great nation is indeed wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that a God near near to it uh, as the Lord God is with whenever we call on him? Let me read that again. For what great nation is there that has a God near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call to him? And what great nation has righteous statutes and ordinances like the, this entire law I've set before you today? Verse 9. This is what I'm going to apply today with this. You, remember the statutes, all those things. Only be on your guard and diligently watch yourselves so that you don't forget the things your eyes have seen so that they don't slip from your mind as long as you live. And this is the key. Teach them to your children and to your grandchildren. Guys, I'll say this again to you. You want to change a nation, you change the church. You want to change the church, you change the home and the family. I'm just telling you right now, if you want to blame anybody for where our nation's at, look in the mirror. Look around. God is the one, He has given us His power. What God is there that would give us these things, He says? What nation would have what we have? We have the God of all glory, the power that resurrected Jesus, that spoke everything of this into being. And he created a family before he created the church because he knew the family would be the fiber. And he's saying, I have taught you, teach those to your children and your grandchildren. Guys, have you ever studied about generational sins? Have you? Do you know psychologically and personally that that if there are abusers, they will generally have children who will become abusers and marry abusers? If they're alcoholics, they will generally become and marry alcoholics. Somewhere along the line, we have forgotten that we are supposed to live what we expect them to become. And that's more than showing up at church on Sunday morning. It's more than just saying, come to church. Church don't save anybody. Jesus does. Do you know where I learned Jesus? I learned Jesus at the feet of my dad and my mom. And my grandparents, when I would sit with my grandfather and he would open his Bible. When I came home from seminary and took my very first theology class and said, Grandpa, let me tell you all the things I've learned. And my grandpa reached over and grabs his Bible. This 70 plus year old man who probably didn't have an eighth grade education, never stepped a foot in seminary, didn't even know what what it was. Pulled his Bible out and went from Genesis to Revelation in the next three hours. Taught me everything I learned that whole semester. Where did he learn that? He learned that from his father, from his mother. My mom, my, my grandma and grandpa on the other side. My grandmother there. She was a, 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 a midwife. My grandfather led the music, believe it or not. I know it's hard to believe when you know me, right? They played the music in, in the local church they had there. They were known as a family and they passed that to my dad. My dad told me over and over again the day that he got saved, he stood up in his church, you know, with his mom and his dad there because they had been telling him and living Jesus in front of them. And as they would plow, my grandfather would sing Christian songs. I remember as a kid walking in my house and hearing my mother sing the old rugged cross I mean, I remember being in Russia several years later, hearing that tune, crying because it took me back to when I was an eight-year-old kid because my life was permeated by Jesus, not church. Jesus. There's a big difference. We have replaced Jesus with church. We have replaced Jesus with rules. Come on, what are we teaching our kids? You let your kids bring their phones to church and half the time they spend their time on their phone at church texting somebody else. And I'm going to tell you right now, put them up. We're raising our kids off of of, uh, uh, iPads and everything else and videos. No. Spend time with your kids. Pour into your kids. You know the reason why we're not pouring into them because nobody else poured into us. Tell them about Jesus. Live with them about Jesus. Show them who Jesus is. If you want a nation that's going to change, it changes right here. What I want to do this morning is I want to give you five questions. I was writing this a while back, and and what I did was I took five simple questions. I'm going to go through them very quickly. Five simple questions. what we need to ask if we're going to really impact the next generation here's the here it is first question is how do we treat ourselves how do we treat ourselves just give you some real quick scripture you know love your neighbor as yourself do you not know what your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit offer the parts of your body to be instruments of righteousness how do we treat ourselves our kids and grandkids are watching us you know why because they're watching our spiritual habits what about our prayer life? Do we teach them to pray more than just at a meal? Do we teach them to get on their faces? Do we ever take time to just lay down on the ground with them and show them that? One of my greatest memories I have as a father was when I was pastoring my, my, uh, uh, second, my uh, second church in North Texas next to Bonham, and one Sunday morning, my daughter was about 18 months old, and you know how 18 months old, they run around and earn everything. And we were at the Parsons next door to it, and my wife was trying to get ready. And she said, David, can you please take Dana over to the church so I can finish getting ready? How many of you have ever been there? You know what I'm talking about. Absolutely. So I took Dana over to the church. And I, I, and I get to the church early, so I, I, Dana's over there pounding on the piano, and I just let her pound on the piano because that's what 18-month-olds do. And I lay down at the altar and begin to, to pray. I get so caught up in the prayer time that about four or five minutes later, it's quiet in the church. When you got a church that's quiet with an 18-month-old, that can't be good, right? You know what I did? I was laying down like this, and I jumped up, and I went, Dana! I looked over beside me. This little 18-month-old kid was just like this on the altar next to me. I kid you not. Because they will reflect what we do. They will copy what we do. What about our Bible study time? Do your kids love the Word because you love the Word? Do your grandkids love the Word because you love the Word? That's what he said. Teach them the statutes. How are they going to know the statutes if they don't know the Word? It's true. It's true. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says to hide the word in your heart so that you will or not, what, sin against God. It is our responsibility as parents and grandparents to do more than just pass on religion and have have, uh, religious talks with our kids to more than just sharing our personal testimonies, which is important, but we got to tell them not just what God has done for us, but what God can do for them. We got to pass it to the next level. We got to teach them to read their word. We got to. My daughter a few years ago, my oldest daughter, she had an eating disorder and she went through just a bunch of stuff and she was kind of rebelling against God and all this. And I remember she she broke up with some boy, or some boy broke it up with her. I lost count through all that stuff somewhere. And she was sitting in our living room and I remember this, she was weeping and crying. She says, Daddy, will you help me please? I said, Yes, honey, I will. Thank you, Daddy. I said, Are you serious about this? Yeah, I'm real serious. I said, I mean, honey, are you really, really serious? Yeah, what do you mean serious? (laughs) I said, honey, here's if you will do what I say, I'll help you. If not, you keep down this path, you can go find your own place to live. Because you're going to keep going down a path that's going to destroy you if you're not careful. She looked at me and she said, what are you asking me to do? I said, here's what's going to happen. I said, number one, I'm putting a moratorium on dating anybody for six months to a year. And you've got to ask my permission next time you do. She had a 22-year-old girl that time. She didn't say, well, I'm 22 years so old. I can do what I want to. No, she was so broken. She looked at me and said, okay, Dad, that's fair. I said, number two, I'm going to buy you a new Bible tomorrow. I'm going to get you a, a journal. And you're going to start now falling back in love. With the example of the man you need to look for, Jesus Christ. And until that time comes, you're not going to date anybody. She said, she told me, she said, she took that journal out, and the first entry in her journal was, I don't know what to say. Six months later, she's still writing. You know what killed me, what got me? She got so comfortable, so excited, and so in love with Jesus and she came to me one day and said, Dad, I don't care if I ever get married. I'm just, I, this is the greatest thing in the world. I'm not looking for a guy. I don't need a guy. And by the way, you don't need a guy to ever complete you. You need a guy or a girl to compliment you. Big difference. But then I started worrying. I thought, well, if she don't ever get married, I'm not going to have grandkids. Somewhere, God, this has got to change, okay? And then Chris came into life. I baptized Chris last May. He's been seeking the Lord, too, along with her. He's got friends. He's trying to reach for the gospel. And all of a sudden, God just gave me that peace that, yeah, that's it. That's it. Guys, the word heals so much. Where do you find your personal identity? How about that question? That's part of this knowing yourself. See, I found out that what I was passing to my kids was perfection, not Jesus. Not excellence, but Perfection. Where do you find your identity? You find your identity in Christ, not in rules and regulations and stuff we do. You find your identity in what he says here. This is who you are. I've given this to you over and over again, he says. These are the statutes. This, this is your identity. You are God's people. Look like it, act like it, be like it. Find your identity. And then how do you treat your physical body? Well, I think that's important hugely because... If we can't be disciplined enough to treat our physical bodies right, how can we expect our children to be disciplined, our families to be disciplined as well? I'll leave that where it is. Number two, not only how do we treat ourselves, but number three, how do we treat God? How about his name? The Bible says you shall not misuse the name of the Lord God. Deuteronomy tells us that. His call. His call. See, I teach my students all the time that it's not about, you know, it's, it's not about... You know, finding a job, it's about fulfilling your calling. You, you know one of the bif- b- mistakes we make? We, we shop for colleges like we shop for shoes because, you know, what do I want to be? Well, no, what is God calling you to be? See, if you understand calling, then you can work at McDonald's and fulfill a calling because there's all kinds of lost people come to McDonald's. You see, every job that you have should be a calling. And if you get up, by the way, let me say this to mom and dad and grandma and grandpa. If you're complaining about your job all the time when you come home, you need to get along with God and find out where, where, you, uh, where you miss the calling and all that. I tell my students all the time, I told them this last week, I said, guys, I get to do every day what I love to do. I love students. I love getting that same thing with them. I had 22,000 students. Everyone of them's got my cell number and every one of them texts me all the time. They've been texting me the last three days. I love what I get to do. I told them the other day, I said, guys, if I die, don't you dare cry. You dance on my grave. Why? Because there's nothing greater in the world than when God's calling and your passions come together. You know why? Because I had a mom and dad that prayed for me as a kid. I can remember my my mother and my grandmother asked me one night, what are you going to do one day as a 10-year-old kid? I didn't say I was going to be a professional football player. I said, I think I'm going to be a preacher. I forgot about that as I ran away from God as a team. My mom and dad never forgot about that. They prayed me back. And they lived with us to that calling. And they always told us, I want you to do this. My brother taught gang kids for 33 years. He's preached many of them's funeral. He's ministered to their families. He's invited to be a part of their homes. I could go on and on and on. You know why? Because my mom and dad taught us to live a calling, to please God first. See, we're always worried about the money. Let me share something with you. If you fulfill your calling, the money will come. It's like faith. We want God to give us a GPS of where we're supposed to go, and then we walk and we'll go, look how faithful I am. No, the Bible is not, not show me and I will go. It's I go and you will show me. The calling that God has for us. You know, the way we treat his name, the life he's given us. I've come, they may have life and have it to the full abundantly. We, we, we live like we're constipated. It's the truth. We got this, look, look around for a moment, guys, come on. Give me your best shot this morning right now. I know you, you lost one hour of sleep. You go, I hate saving stuff. You want tonight when you got three extra hours to play. But, I mean, think about this, guys. Do we live our life to the fullest? Would people want what we have every day? or Because they're not going to want what we don't want. I, we don't have, I promise you. When they look at us, are we raising our kids... To live out that fullness, our obedience to God. Those who obey his commands live in him, and he in them. You know, how do we do that? Number three, not only how we treat ourselves and how we treat God, but how do we treat our spouse? How do we speak to her, guys? The Bible says, let no unwholesome language come out of our mouth in Ephesians. How do we speak to her? Do we belittle her, or do you belittle him, guys? Remember last time I was here, we did that conference at night, I kind of picked on the guys for a long time and all the girls going, yeah. And then I finally picked on the girls and I'm like, don't do that. And all the guys going, do it, go for it, go for it. Remember what I told you, what it meant to respect your husband? To look at him ever so often and just let him know how much you love him? Because if all he ever hears is blah, 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 that's all he's ever going to hear is blah, blah, blah. And don't get mad when he finds a place to go all the time so he don't have to hear blah, 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 blah. Because if you never tell him how much you love him, how much you appreciate him, how much you respect him, because what guys want more than anything else is affirmation. Man, when my wife looks at me and she says, You know what? You're the best looking thing there ever was. I go, You're right, I am. <laughs> my middle name is Stud. Yeah. No, that's that's a lie. I'm a fifty-five year old short guy who's lost two inches over the last several years because I'm dying. I mean, you know what I mean. No, but when my wife looks at me and tells me, and puts her arm around me and affirms me, it's like, what wall do you want me to run through, baby? I'm done it. I'm killing. Who do you? What do you want me to kill? I'm. I'm come on, yeah. yeah. It's the truth. You take a, a guy sitting in a wheelchair who's 90 years old in a nursing home, and his wife whispers to him and tells him how great he is. He's like, okay, how you going to go, baby? Yeah. Because that's who, how we're made. Guys, how do you speak to your wife? Do you down her? Or do you affirm her? You know what I found? I found that most women, one of their love languages are is words of affirmation. Man, you know, I can, I can be so critical sometimes. And, and all three of my, I got a house full of women. I swim in the estrogen ocean every day. And, you know, and I'm serious. I, I look at this in my you know and, I, and I, you know sometimes i would get critical because it's like i want to fix this and my wife and I, and I got to stop and go sweetheart i'm so proud of you and i tell my daughters honey i'm so proud of you you know i really am i mean rather than going down there and telling her that her room looks like a bomb set off and it does just say sweetheart i'm so proud of what you do how you treat your sister and what kind of woman you are you know why because in three months that room's going to move to another guy's house and they'll have to deal with it so right now it just don't matter okay And maybe y'all have had to shut the room of your your children just to just to realize it's not gonna be a fight all the time. You know what I'm talking about? But here's the point is I gotta look at my wife every so often when I walk in and just hold on to her. Because that's what's most important. She needs to know how much I love her. How do we speak to her? Like a treasure, all beautiful you are, like a valued life mate and partner. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Guys, what do your eyes say? Ladies, what do your eyes say? I could. Use, I used to be able to say that. It'd only be a guy thing. It's not that way anymore. You know why? Because according to most studies, about fifty percent of young women struggle with pornography too. They become more visual. So, what do your eyes say? I'm serious. I, you know, I, I look around at restaurants all the time. You know, and and when I'm with my wife, I want my eyes focused upon her. I've, I've sat at restaurants and watched guys, you know, check out the waiters and the waitresses and stuff like that, and all this stuff, when they're walking by, and they they get a beautiful wife or girlfriend right in front of them, and, you know, you just want to beat them up. All in the name of Jesus, just smack them down right there, you know. Go, you idiot, look what's in front of you. What do your eyes say? We watch where our eyes go, don't we? How do we treat our spouse? Because, let me tell you something, if you want your... Your children to treat their spouse well, and to learn what real love is in marriage, they got to learn it from you. I remember it was gross sometimes. My mom and dad would grab hold of each other, and my dad would just plant one on my mom, and it would just get all gooey there, and I'd go, ugh, gag. I look back at it now, and I go, man, my mom and dad loved each other. They wanted to be with each other. And if it grosses out our kids when we kiss too much, so be it. Let it happen. They've taken biology. They know how they got here. (laughs) Truth of the matter is, I don't want to lose a passion for my wife. Or would you want to for your husband? No. I don't think we ever get too old. We lose our passion for each other. No. I want to be chasing her around when we're 90. Why? Because... I want my kids to grow up and know mom and dad love each other. Number four, how do you treat your children? Fathers, do not embitter your children. Do not exasperate your children. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not, be, he will not turn away from him. We talked about that last time. I your children's children are the crown to the aged, and parents are the pride of their children. How do you treat your children? Consider this. Do you lecture or love them? You just kind of say, come here and sit. I'm going to talk to you now. Now, get What well, do you put your arm around them? Look, don't get me wrong. He'll tell you, that I am a disciplinarian. You know, I remember one time when my oldest, youngest, my oldest daughter was like 10 years old, nine, years old, and she'd been, she was supposed to go to a, a dance that weekend at school. It wasn't much of a dance, but her and her friends we're all going to go with their moms and buy new dresses. And Dana's standing there with me on Wednesday. Three days later, she's supposed to go, and I'm telling her to do something. I told her three times. Finally, I looked at her. I said, sweetheart, I've told you three times. If I have to tell you again, if you say another word, if you say another word, baby, you're not going this weekend. Rather than walking away and doing, I ask you, she looked at me and she went, Word. I said, go call your friends, you're not going this weekend. I said, call them now, do you want to be off the next two or three weekends? You know what she spent that Saturday doing? Cleaning up the house. She wore an old dress. That's cruel No, She never did it again. Guys, discipline should be love. Do we lecture or love them? Do we listen or ignore them? To express our emotions? Are we willing to say, I love you? Are we one of those particular guys, or are we like those people that, you know, that, that, those guys that, that you know get caught up in themselves and, you know, we, we, we don't want to say love because I wasn't raised that way. Well, I can't help it if you raise raised the wrong way. Your wife, guys, wants and your children want to hear that you love them. Well, they know it already because I work hard for them. No, they don't. No, they don't. No, they don't. It's like that old joke of the guy, and I, this actually happened with a Cincinnati Bengal. A friend of mine is one of the chaplains there, and he said he was in a, a marriage counseling thing with a couple he married a year before, and she was, she was better ready to walk away from him. And she said, he never tells me he loves me. And he looked at him and he said, is that true? And he said, yeah. So I told her when we got married, I loved her, and I told her if it ever changed, I'd tell her then. <laughs> well, that's, you know, that's real affectionate, isn't it? Yeah, every woman woman dreams of hearing a man say that, right? Yeah. Look at me. It does not take away your manhood to say I love you. In fact, it actually might strengthen it. Number five, how do we treat others? Above all else, love others deeply. Do others what you would have them do to you. Consider others better than yourself, but love your enemies and do good to them. Love your neighbors. Think about this. Watch what you say. Be careful of prejudice. You'll pass hatred to the next generation. Practice compassion. Watch what you say when you watch TV and you're reacting to what people say. Be careful that you're not slanting because young ears are listening and they will repeat exactly what they hear from us. Guys, those little babies aren't born with hate and prejudice in them. We put that in them. I'm not saying sin's not there; sin's there, but it's what they hear from us. We got to be careful. How about model servanthood? Be a missionary wherever you go. Share your faith in front of your kids. Make memories. Build an intentional legacy of of integrity and character and obedience and a passion for the things that value that Christ values souls. So here's the question. Are you passing on? What kind of baton are you passing to the next generation? That last one's really important, by the way. Let me say this to you. Do you realize that studies consistently show this? Josh McDowell, this is going back 20 years, but even recent studies show it, that that on average, at least three-quarters of the young people who are Christian kids in our Youth ministries, when they get to college, they walk away from their faith. Josh McDowell says it's 94%. I mean, you ought to read The Last Christian Generation sometime. It gives you the statistics of Christian kids, not non-Christian kids. 68% don't believe hell's a real place. Over 60% don't believe the resurrection, don't believe Jesus is the only way to heaven. Because we've spent time in our youth groups playing games, not teaching them Jesus. And by the way, it is not your youth group's responsibility to be the initial teacher of Jesus. It is your mom and dad and grandma and grandpa. It is your responsibility to teach them Jesus. They're only reflecting what they don't hear from us. And by the way, let me say this to you. If you want to change that 75 or 90 percent, the only one I've heard was a guy named Jerry Pipes. We're rewriting his book on family to family right now. And Jerry quotes a thing that he and uh, another guy at a youth institute noticed from from the parents those kids and i've seen this consistently in my classes that if mom and dad and grandma and grandpa are actually engaged not in just in church but in the harvest to where they those kids actually hear mom and dad share their faith and tell, talk to people not invited to church that hear them share their faith and talk to them about Jesus and grandma and grandpa got their kids there or you got your kids there and you're teaching them that and they hear that and they know that it is so important to you that you talk about it because think about this. What, you know What's important to us, we, we will raise money for and we talk about. We talk about what's important to us, don't we? I mean, some of you talk about hunting all the time or guns all the time because that's important to you. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're not talking about Jesus, don't get surprised when your kids don't think that Jesus is not important to you. If they don't hear you, share your faith. If they don't hear you, tell other people about Christ. Then I promise you, all you will do is pass on a generational thing of church and religion. And when they get out of here, they won't change. They'll struggle with the same stuff. Why? Because if it's not percolated through us to come out of us, it may never have been in us. Do you get what I'm saying? Guys, I am a hot mess most of the time as, as a dad I, I'm horrible if you ever watch me watch a Tennessee football game I scream and holler and throw stuff all right it's the way it is I've done a lot of screaming and hollering over the last five years okay it's been bad now let me say this to you you know my kids have watched me in all kinds of situations I asked my wife one day I said why is it our kids love Jesus they've traveled all over the world and, and shared the gospel my daughter did a, a she was last night up doing an FCA thing up in up at my both daughters of mine up in an FCA thing up in Maryland Got back late last night. My daughter did a softball thing a while back and had 40 young people come to Christ. And they're sharing a, well, I, I'm not that bragging. I'm saying this how do my kids after with me such, now I know their mama's perfect but I mean I'm a mess. How did that happen? And one day Debbie and I were just going through it and we thought you know what the one thing we've consistently done with our kids is that we've shown them what it means to be a missionary. Debbie would bake cookies and pies and fudge and we would take it to our lost neighbors and our house was the house where all the kids would come and hear about jesus and It wasn't just not just you know asking the preacher it was there i can remember that's why we had a trampoline in the backyard we've baptized four of our neighbors in the last couple years because my wife has loved on their kids so much my kids have loved on them so much you know what we deal with our kids when they made their first dollar, 10, per, 10 cents goes to the church because it should. And we had them set up a 5% ministry fund so that if they had a chance to buy someone, some, you know, something so they could share the gospel with them, coffee, whatever it was, a friend, that they'd have the money there. I remember Dana when she was 8 years old. See, I, I don't remember if I told you this the last time. I remember when she was 8, she didn't eat lunch for almost a month, and she saved up almost $40. And Debbie found it in her, her, her little thing there, and, and she got all over and she brought her home, and she was really upset because she thought, well, why are you not eating your lunch, and what are you keeping this money for? And, and, and Dana looked at her and says, Mommy, there's a new girl in our school, and it's cold outside, and every day we go outside, she doesn't have a coat. And I thought, if I could get enough money, you and Dad could take me to help me buy her a coat. Now, that was one day we all cried because Debbie had jumped all over Dana. And she, I'm so sorry, honey, I never knew. Of course, where did she learn that? She learned it from my mama, opening up her house as a kid from all of us. Where did I learn this? I learned this from my dad. Let me share this, and I'll, I'll close. I know we're a little bit over, over time here. Chapter 40 of Evangelism is, talks about my dad, the greatest one of the greatest things that ever happened to me, I remember as a seven-year-old kid, my father, my mom was really sick. My dad had, had a, um, was taking care of us. He was working three jobs. My mom almost died of kidney failure. And my dad was trying to pay off $30,000 in medical bills. This was 1968. That was a lot of money. And my, my dad, five o'clock Christmas Eve, they were shutting the store down and said, son, would you take all those toys back there in the back that I have stacked up and put them in the car? I thought they were ours. We're driving home, and I'm, I'm looking at them, thinking they're all in the trunk, thinking we're going to play with them I will get when I get home. And that's what a seven-year-old thinks. And when we pulled in our neighborhood, we pulled to the house right behind ours. And I said, Dad, why are we stopping here? My father looked at me, and he said, Son, he said, I found out just a couple days ago that the husband left. To get, he drained all their bank accounts. They have nothing. This wife, this woman had three kids. He said, I cannot stand for them not to have a Christmas. I remember as a kid getting out of that car as a seven-year-old, Carrying those toys in front of them. Laying them under the tree. And she's standing there weeping. Tears coming down her face. Because I don't remember what I got that Christmas. But I'll never forget what we gave. You know at my dad's funeral? People lined up for nine hours. To tell us stories. People I didn't even know. I always wonder why my dad drove every car until it blew up. You know, I mean, you ought to try to... Try to date in a truck that has a four board holding the four board. That's really impressive, right? Yeah. Come here, baby. Hop in my car. Yeah. Get asphyxiated at the same time. <laughs> I'm serious. That's what we had. We called it the Grey Ghost. That's what I dated Debbie at. And you know why he did that? Not because he didn't do it. He did really well in real estate. I found out at his funeral, people come in and says, we don't, You're David, right? Yeah. How do you know me? I knew your dad. How'd you know my dad? When well, my husband had cancer, your dad bought her medication. He bought her kids' clothes. He bought her, took care of our school clothes. He took care of this and this and this and this and person after person for nine hours. I've never met in my life. Walked in and said that. And I found out, wow, dad was spending thousands of dollars a year. Never told us. One time, I'm sure mama knew, but she never said a word just to be a blessing. He had a two-acre garden just so he could give the stuff away so he could march people through and point them to Christ let me tell you this, a couple of years ago we were coming home from a trip, I took mom to a conference while we were riding home I told mom, I said mom I hated the church we grew up in, I did, it was very legalistic my mom looked at me and she says then why do you do what you do today I said well mom my first remembers of you, or you putting a blanket over my head as a three or four year old kid and carrying me in one arm and a casserole in another where you were feeding neighbors who couldn't take care of themselves and then you've heard the story of my dad I said, Mama, when I became a junior or sophomore in college and I thought about walking away from Jesus, I come to the conclusion that if I walked away from Jesus, I'd have to walk away from you and Dad because you were all so much the same. Now, my mom and dad were perfect. But they didn't just tell me about Jesus, they showed me Jesus. Five questions. How do we treat ourselves? How do we treat God? How do we treat our spouse? How do we treat our children? And then how do we treat others? This morning, I'm going to ask you to stand with me right now. and Just bow your heads. I'm going to ask you guys, if you guys would just come and play, it would be all right for us. And just play your guitar or something like that for us. And I want to take a moment here. I want to give you an opportunity. Last time I was here, we talked about families. And Jeff asked me to bring another message because he said, you know, some of you wanted to know, how do you, reach those family members that don't know Christ how do you reach a spouse that don't know Christ it's how you treat them it's how you live it out in front of them it's how you speak you got the you got to embody the gospel and what you do how do you make a difference in your family you make a difference because you adopt the gospel not just religion you adopt Jesus so I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer and I'm going to open up this altar again. I'm particularly going to ask moms and dads if you want to come and kneel. How are you answering those questions, Grandma and Grandpa? How are you dealing with that? Three times he said, I've given you statues. I've given you statues. i am given you statues. Why? Because Yahweh God has blessed you. Don't you scream at your TV when you get home about how big a mess our nation is unless we're willing to change the church. You change the church, but change in the family. So I'm going to lead us to a word of prayer, and I'm going to ask you to begin to come. Just kneel together at this altar and ask God to take your home, your family, your community. Ask Him to help you become more missional, to reach out to your neighbors around you, not just church events. You become the event in your neighborhood. Take the gospel to your friends. More than just sitting down and entertaining ourselves. Let's be Jesus to them. Father, right now, I ask you to lead this invitation. I ask you to challenge us and change us to be more like you. That our lives would reflect you. God, I pray right now that you'll touch every family here. We'd answer those questions real simple. How do we treat you? How do we treat ourselves? How are we treating our spouse, honestly? How are we treating our children? And how are we training up and treating our family in reference to how we treat others? Your great commandment says to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, everything we got, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. The world screams that we're supposed to love ourselves first, or we won't know how to love you. And That's so contrary to what we're supposed to be taught, Father. Because we end up loving ourselves so much We don't have time for you And we certainly don't have time for our neighbors And our families quite frankly father Are reflecting that That's why our churches are reflecting that So God help us this morning to get over ourselves And get back to what it means To not just be churchmen and churchwomen But be Christians Be Jesus people So on fire for Christ And the gospel that we can't be silent That we live this We speak this. We are this. Because that's what will change our family. And that's what will change our nation. Right now, Father, move among us. In your name we pray. Come on, guys. The altar's open if you want to come. If you want to bring your family. If you want to come, people, you just come right now. Take a moment. I'll let you go here in just a few minutes. Find you a place. Kneel together with them. Turn to your neighbors next to you, your family. Let them know. Just ask God to take your home. And make it what he wants it to be. To do that among you. If you don't know Christ, your personal Savior, then I would invite you to come this morning. I'd love to tell you how you can do that. You've got a great pastor who models exactly what we're talking about. How's this happening in your home? Maybe your grandma and grandpa out there and you're thinking to yourself, I'm just too old to change now. No, you're not. You're not too old to change. Come on, man. Abraham was 100 years old when he had his first child. I mean, come on. Don't tell me you're too old to change. You're not. It's not too old to change. It's I don't want to change. But guys, religion will not change the world. Jesus will. What's happening in our homes is what matters the most. That will change the church. And that will change our nation. Our Father, this morning, we come before you. We ask you in the precious name, most powerful name of Jesus, that you would change us, make us what you want us to be. I know there's some here, and even their, their, their wife or husband don't know Christ, and they're wondering how to reach them. Show them, first and foremost, what you've told us, just to go, to pray for them, to love them, to care for them, to speak to them. To be Jesus in front of them. To not get angry and fly off the handle. To not react, but to act. How do we mold this into our marriage? We do this because we're so in love with you. One plus one doesn't equal one in this world anyway, Father. But it does in your math. Because if we come together in you. If we love you. Father, every time... I have felt a disconnect in our marriage. It's because either me or Debbie have moved away from you the glue that holds us together. And when we come back together, the closer we get, the greater we see what you want. The more your message and your gospel flows through us. Our spiritual arteries are open and our lives are changed. Our children are blessed by that. Not by perfection. God, we are so far from that. But by Jesus. Let your gospel shine through us, Father. In all we do, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to say to you as a church, I travel a lot, and I want you to understand something. What you have here, not too many people have, you have a community, you have a pastor who cares for you greatly. You have just a phenomenal opportunity. And when you go home today, you can tell whether the sermon will hit you or not. If the first thing you do is just kind of do what you ever, we do a lot of times on Sunday, we just kind of leave here and click that off till next week, you'll find out that it really make a difference. Well, the first thing you do is, you know, is check your phone just to make sure all the messages aren't there or you go home and t- click your TV on, because you've got to watch a basketball game, right? How about putting your DVR on and spending a day talking with each other? Seriously. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? Come on. One day, somebody's going to be looking down at you at a casket, and you're going to be looking at someone else. And you're not going to wish you had more... Likes on your Facebook. You're going to wish you'd spent more time with that person. You're going to wish you'd told them exactly how you felt. You're going to wish that you would have invested more in those relationships. Because ultimately, that's what's most important. Amen? Why don't you go across and grab someone's hand. And unless y'all have anything to add, any questions, Kind of things, anything? Why don't you go find someone across across the aisle here? Grab their hand. Yeah, I always do that. I know Jeff may not do that, but he's not here today. Okay, so I'm gonna ask you to do that. Yeah. I want you to know something. I love y'all. Appreciate you. Thank you. I look forward to being back with you next month. Like I said, you got a guy that needs help. You get somebody else. You bring them that day. Okay, we're gonna. directly about what those things are, and guys, you don't have a fishing trip on that day, you have no place else to be, you be here, because I promise you, I'm going to make sure we, we, we tape it, and if you miss it, then, you're, you're, then your wife gets to make you listen to it four times, which could be destructive, it could literally kill you, okay, if we do that, be here that day, okay, because guys, there's nothing more important I do in this world than what I do with my kids and my wife, there's not nothing. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you and we ask you as you take us home today, wherever you're taking us today, as we go, Lord, open our eyes to who you are, to how we treat ourselves, to how we treat our spouse, how we treat our children, and especially how do we treat others because that's a reflection of all those other four questions. How do we live this thing out to not just be religious people but be Jesus lovers to be on fire, to carry the flame of the gospel wherever we go, that our marriages and our homes might be mission stations that shine a bright light for a world in darkness, that they might know that there's hope and you're alive. Let that be the hope of our nation, Father, not Washington. God, we pray for our leaders. We pray for all that's going on. But God, I pray for the church. I pray for our homes. I pray for our moms and dads and single moms and dads who are struggling and their children and all that's going on. God, please wake us up and speak through us and help us to do what you've told us to do there in Deuteronomy. To take that blessing that you've given us over and over and over again and pass it to the next generations. That you might live in us. That you might change us. You might change our church and change our nation. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say, What? Amen. God bless you guys. I love you. Have a great day.